to the Men Among Demons podcast. In a disoriented world, this is the podcast that asks what would happen if we truly put Christ at the center of our thinking. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Opperwall. And I'm your host, Dr. Greg Weeb. Hi, Greg. Hey, man. Now, we've done an episode on of our podcast, Men Among Demons. We've done an episode on uh, the cult of EDI in the university. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, you know, we've gone back and forth a little bit, wondering if maybe we might want to talk about the university uh, more generally. Mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that's where my where my head is at. Um, but let's say as a way into it, uh, we'll pick up this thread of of having just seen you. I just saw you at the North American Patristic Society. That's right. Annual meeting. It's always in Chicago, the end of May. And uh, I wanted to ask you uh, if you've if you've had. I'll ask you two things. One, just general, um, what do you call it, small talk type stuff in terms of what you thought, you know, in the last couple of weeks since then, if you've, if you've had some thoughts about, you know, what really stood out to you as being valuable about that time or not, or not valuable. So, you know, anything that was, that's, you know, bugging you. And also, what do you think the future of the North American Patristic Society is? What do you think the future of patristic studies yeah oh, yeah 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 which taps into something deeper for us which too, i think just, taps into something yeah, deeper yeah the question of i mean i feel like already what you're getting at a little bit is the question of how the studying of theology or church faith related topics in an academic setting fits into the church Christian life, what, what the value is or is not of that. Um, which is a really good question when I roll around in my head a yeah. lot, uh, as so, as someone who, you know, as you know, but maybe some listeners or viewers don't, um, who teaches, uh, just part-time, but teaches at, uh, at a program of, uh, Orthodox studies, uh, at, um, Trinity college, which is part of the university of Toronto. Uh, I think about it, I think about that question all the time. Well, we, we can circle back to that question though, because I, I can jump in by or I can start by uh, mm-hmm. responding what you the prompt you gave there, which is to think about the the specific conference we were at mm-hmm. uh, last month. Um, I mean, I had a great I was I had a great time. It was a great conference. You know, great mm-hmm. to see see people I haven't seen, and in this case, now mm-hmm. several years from COVID right. and all that. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think. It, I think you said near the end that it was maybe the best, the best one ever in terms of our experience. And uh, after you said that, I was I've been reflecting on it since coming home and thinking, yeah, you know, I really think it was. And one of the reasons I, it felt that way to me is that just in, at least in terms of the papers we saw, the people we talked to, there seemed to be a lot less of this sense of ivory tower pretentiousness. Um, maybe we've just gotten to know better the people we like to hang out with and, the, mm-hmm. and whose work mm-hmm. we enjoy the most. But mm-hmm. but even even if that's the reason, it 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 it's still the observation still goes to what I think your deeper question is, which is that I I really enjoyed the conference because this year I I felt like I spent so much time learning about things that I could take home with me, not just as a scholar, not even mainly as a scholar but as a Christian 
trying to learn to shape myself in into the image of that that God would have me be into into the the person that God would have me be, which is a which is difficult work, <laughs> difficult mm-hmm. work, and uh, hanging out with really with good and down to earth patristic scholars is the closest thing we'll we'll be able to get to hanging out with the fathers, you know, the people who know their thought really, really well that way uh, kind of become conduits of that thinking. If, if we're doing our jobs well as, as scholars of of patristics. Um, And yeah, that's kind of to, to large degree, it's kind of what the conference felt like. And uh, yeah. So I think, I think my key takeaways were to think a lot more about um, the art of living and what, um, yeah, what these ancient voices from you know a couple thousand years ago, or or many many centuries ago at the very least, still have to say to a world like ours, or just or just to a person like me, just to a man like me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. How did you feel? Yeah, and well, no, I, 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 it was a really strong conference for me. I mean, a big part of that was that I felt like I was connecting. <clears throat> with the people that I had, I wanted to connect with for mm-hmm. some time, just get, I mean, it, it's sort of funny because I come to patristic studies, um, you know, quite unintentionally and then via Augustine. And for the longest time, as you know, I would insist that I don't, I have such a difficulty seeing myself as a, as a patrologist, as a, mm-hmm. as a scholar of the church fathers. But you know, eventually you you resign yourself to your fate uh, and and admit it. But then you know, being Orthodox, uh, you know, coming to patrology via Augustine isn't exactly a um, an intuitive way into uh, the, the community of Orthodox patristic scholars. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's hard to make connections. There aren't a lot of intuitive connections. Most of the, most of the guys I want to, I want to connect with there. Most of the scholars I want to connect with there, you know, are working on Maximus and, and, uh, and, and so forth. Um, so this it's, you know, it's taken some time to, to get into that. Um, and I felt like, felt like I was starting to finally make some solid connections, uh, and maybe even, uh, you know, establish a start doing things that 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 uh that might allow me to be taken somewhat seriously which would you know which would be nice <laughs> book, um book but, you know press isn't enough for you eh, greg what's that <laughs> a book on oxford university press isn't enough for you eh? it wasn't there it, it wasn't there was no copy of my book at that sure. conference i have to say that was really disappointing it's kind of heartbreaking. It's like yeah. looking forward to it, like to see, you know, my book at the bookseller. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that man. Was, that was a tough one. But anyways, the other thing I was, you know, and I, and I said, obviously, you know, some aspects of this conversation we're going to repeat from our own private conversations now that now that we're recording. But one of the things that struck me was was that. Um, there was a sense it felt like to me that there was less, there was less pretending that the problem, uh, that the problems weren't there. 
the problems of the modern university. The problems know. of the modern university. And when you're and when you're talking about what you value from the North American Patristic Society annual meeting, I can't help but think like uh, those are the things I value as well. The, there's a real spiritual yeah. value to it, and that's really why I did my doctoral work is is because I because I found that you know doing this like trying to do this rigorous academic study was what wound up being of such. Uh, you know, a movement of such spiritual growth. Yeah. Um, like that was the true importance of it, but you can't help but notice that that's obviously tangential to, to, you know, the, the, what you can have is what the stated aims of the, of naps can be, right. You can't have the, it doesn't really work to have their stated aims to be, to, you know, to be spiritual ends, the spiritual ends of, of yeah. the members of the society. That doesn't really make yeah. sense. Even if it's not uncommon, because there's going to be all, there are all sorts of Christians not, there yeah, who are not. who are doing exactly what you're doing, yeah. and That's and right. are there for spiritual benefit, and in, in addition yeah. to you know, uh, uh, you know what professional professional benefits. Nevertheless, you know it is a professional society, mm-hmm. scholarly um, society. Yeah, it's a yeah. scholarly society, and, and, uh, and form, formally speaking, a secular. A secular organization. Oh, that's I mean, right. One, one doesn't need. The, it is There's the case a, that the vast, vast majority of people who study early Christian literature are uh-huh. Christian of, of one stripe or another. And they are most often Catholic or Orthodox and a decent sprinkling of uh, Anglicans as well or mm-hmm. Episcopalians and then a mm-hmm. few Protestants. Then a few Protestants. Uh, but it is the organization. And I, and I kind of bring this up because I think it's significant to the broader question you're after because it, in officially speaking it's a secular organization anyone can be a member that's right anyone can give a paper um yep and uh well it isn't that interesting and because it's a it's a little microcosm of what so many scholars like us are doing um at institutions that formally speaking are secular you know we we both did our phds at mcmaster university um and uh i think i've always said to people about my own dissertation that you know i felt like i wrote it's 99% of what I wanted to say or whatever the percent mm-hmm. because I wrote a, um, an exegetical kind of descriptive, but, but analytical mm-hmm. thesis on how pneumatology, the theology of the Holy spirit works in, in Gregor Nazianzus's writings. But the thing that I couldn't do was put like the last chapter on it, or even just the last sentence on it, which is to say, why I think that matters, why I think what he's trying to articulate about the Holy Spirit actually matters for human right. beings in our lives. Right. I was free to think about that and free to talk to you about it. Yeah, that's right. And in a place like the North American Patristic Society, we often have those conversations because, you you know, you quickly find out um, that other people are people of faith and they're very happy to talk about it. And we, we can do that. But it's interesting to be located in a secular institution and to turn in that thesis where... You know, there is no last chapter except in my head. Uh, and there's a little bit of a game being played, isn't there, when we do that? Um, yeah. You're pulling a certain punch or you're, or you're you're backing away to say, well, see, I'm only just described like just in case someone happens to be interested and they might be anything. They might be a Christian. They might be an atheist. They might be anything. And if they want to know what Gregory thinks about the Holy Spirit. Now they'll know more from my, from my thesis. Yeah. All of that's true, but like, it's funny, you know, you gotta kind of stop there at a secular institution and not necessarily at a confessional institutions are, are a bit different. And sometimes you can go that extra step, but uh, 
Yeah, although it's a middle, I mean, that's a mixed blessing. Even there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. like, the discipline of having to make your arguments exegetically and not, and not, because my instinct for all those years of study, my instinct would have absolutely been to, to, to do some, something, you know, uh, something like fideism, uh, you know, and mm. pull that uh, and, just, and just take the shortcut. But the discipline of having to articulate an argument ar- mm. and argue within a secular setting, I found really beneficial for, for yeah. honing, for honing my arguments, but, but it is, you know, but it's not, it's not simple because, because if you don't have that, and if, if, you know, that, then you are missing something uh, and which, which, which continues to be sort of my point uh, um, in my work about Augustine. Like if you're not, if you're not getting just how important the church is as a solution to the problem of demons or whatever other issue that you're exploring in his work. If you don't get that the point is to go to church, to worship God, to unite yourself to Christ, to be filled with the Holy spirit. If you don't get that, that's the point, then there's something fundamental. You're, you're not understanding about it. Mm-hmm. You think of him as a political thinker. If you're thinking of him in these different ways as a philosopher or whatever, then you're not understanding hey, that's, that's true for, for all the saints that are studied in patristic studies. Uh, yeah. I think in some fundamental way, if you're ignoring that, uh, then, then you missed something. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of interesting to, in connection with this question of what you, what's the value of universities or, or not the value of universities. It's, um, I'm thinking about what I'm really thinking about in this very moment is, is my work, my course on, on Dostoevsky, theology of Dostoevsky that I teach every few years. And, uh, how, Often Dostoevsky's read in those same kinds of registers as well. Like, you know, political right. thinker, or people will talk about him as a religious thinker. Right. Um, and, you know, existentialist, philosopher, right. philosophical novelist. All of that is, none of that is false. And Dostoevsky did have a very strong interest in politics. And, and I mean, worldly politics as such. Um, not just political theory, but like what's actually going on in the world, what's going on in the Russia of his day, that sort of thing, right? Or Western Europe. Um, so like none of that is none of that is untrue. Mm-hmm. But I I keep running into this sense that like studying it, you know, when we when we take a Dostoevsky or an, or a Saint Augustine or a lot of thinkers and kind of put them into that secular under that secular microscope, a lot of important things come out. But there's also a really a, that piece that we can't talk about, that last chapter, it does get kind of silenced. Mm. Like, but like the bottom line is, if you do not get <laughs> that Fyodor Dostoevsky is a person of profound and sincere faith in Jesus Christ, and that he thinks you should be too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then you don't get his great novels. And you can talk about existentialist philosophy and politics all you want, <laughs> but like that's the that is the end of the politics for him. The end point is to help to, is to create a society where the human being can turn to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the point, and 
I don't know. It's like we we sort of minimize we can minimize that in these secular contexts to to the degree that we actually begin to deform. We actually aren't describing these thinkers anymore. No, that's right. I th- I think that se- that second part that you said, you know, that not only that he's a devout Christian, but that you should be too. Mm-hmm. Like that that in the literature, that's what he thinks. There is an attempt. Yes, yeah. there is an yeah. evangelical claim there. There is there is a claim about your. It's not just about his true nature. It's about your true nature. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah, because even if you grant the even if you grant the first, which you can do to some significant extent in scholarship, you can't quite do the second, um, except at except at the you know at a sort of a distance, a remove of analysis, mm-hmm. right? Augustine thinks that you should be a Christian. Well, yes, indeed. Right, but like he's it, but it, he, to understand him, he needs you know. It's not just Augustine thinks you. Augustine thinks I should be a Christian. Yeah. Me, me personally, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the claim. The claim is that my nature is some something less than complete unless I find it and determine it in Christ. And he's right. And Which is another right. piece. It's another thing we can't say, right? We can't say this. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's yeah, right. That's right. And that's that's what I've often told people would it would have been the last sentence of my thesis if I could have written it. <laughs> and he's right. And he's right. <laughs> Gregory, this is what Gregory thinks of the Holy Spirit. You know, eighty thousand words on that. Yeah. And three three words I couldn't write. The very end. And he's right. And he's right. And that's that's interesting. I mean, but you kind of point to the value of putting these things under that under that microscope, and I I agree with you. There, it's not without value. Being in a con- completely confessional place can sometimes sap us of the rigor of of the putting us through our paces to make mm-hmm. the case, to prove the point, to take mm-hmm. the evidence. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, a case like someone like Saint Augustine, you can get inside a certain echo chamber. And these days, among Orthodox yeah. Christians, it's yeah. it's so easy to just throw rocks at Saint Augustine, uh, and you you know read people's commentary on him who've clearly never read a single word the man ever wrote. You know, yeah. just and confessional institutions can produce that right. in a way that yes. a secular institution Quite wouldn't so. wouldn't let you get away. Well, at least on these topics, wouldn't let you get away with. They have their own ideologies these days, though. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is maybe the bigger problem, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's yeah. So what's why do we do it? <laughs> I feel like you were after something yeah, bigger well, about the modern university in this conversation. Yeah, but I think so I think it has to do with this like or with what was rattling around in my head earlier. Kind of has to do with this point in the sense that you know, our life can't can't be all limitation. We need limitations. Limitations are a reality um of embodied of created existence. Um, and we need those limitations in order to grow, grow into something. And that's what I found in my studies that those limitations helped me grow, but it can't just be all limitations, right? There has to be some kind of, a kind of ability to flower, an ability to, to flourish. There has to be that, that end that isn't capturable by the system that, that, that gives it orientation and direction so that you're not just growing, but growing to something, growing to be something, but I'm like, I mean, I wonder like that, and, and uh, you know, so, so for, for guys like you and me, there's this kind of spiritual aspect that kind of keeps calling us on. Um, 
but in a certain sense, I wonder if like the scholarship as a whole, why, why ends up, winds up being a bit like that patristic scholarship. Like it is a kind of excessive flourish. Like if there's, you know, um, like there's no, you know, there's no money in it. There's no money in it. There's no, well, this, how, yeah. Right? So I like, think that's actually not a bad segue to, to this other, this other elephant in the room, which is that what is, what is going on with universities as social institutions? Uh-huh. What are they doing anymore? And how should we be responding to, they, to what yeah. they're doing? Like, because, because they, they started, they really did start. They really did start a long time ago for better and often for worse, to be clear, as institutions that were explicitly about that final spiritual end. You know, we right. do all this scholarship explicitly in service like every the the the, U, the Western university tradition begins with that it begins with the study basically of theology to some degree classics and, and and philology and that sort of thing geared toward for the purpose of bringing human beings into deeper contact with God, which is something we have still managed to take a little bit out of even secular universities. We've That's managed right. to take material out of those institutions that has helped us, and we are not by any means the only two people on the planet have been still managing to do that all the way into 2022. But um, clearly that's not the goal anymore of the, of the Western university tradition. Can something has changed. Can uh, right. Something sure. Yes. Something has definitely changed. And I wonder, I mean, the question with which I started was basically, can, can patristic studies survive? that change Hmm. and i don't know like you know there's a certain logic to the idea that if if universities aren't um cultivating people who are capable of making contributions to society some some meaningful contributions to society then what's their point but as long as you're construing it in sort of narrow economic terms in terms of investments and payout, right? Like you, you know, a university is a is a significant investment on the part of of t- usually young people, uh, mm-hmm. where they're making sacrifices of time and money, and effort in the hopes that it's going to pay out, you know, in the long run. But what if there are some like, does the university actually do a good job of that? What if there are some things? If it does a good job in some ways, but not in others, like. W- what what if there are some aspects of it that can't be accounted for you know economically what if you know what if there are some things that you study that'll that'll just never make you money yeah well are we capable as a society of of keeping people fed who are doing work that has no it really does have no economic sort of benefit direct. anymore. Direct or at least kind of indirect. I mean, it's certainly the, the, the work we do and, and anyone in, in humanities would be under the same, that's the same right. kind of situation. It's yeah, not just right. theology or something or, or, or church history or religious studies. Anyone in the humanities really is, it's not, it's like, it's true. Like there's no, classicists don't 
contri- like contribute anything. There's there's been these <laughs> arguments historically that oh well you know we teach the people the critical thinking skills or the writing skills that they'll need and that's all just almost completely nonsense like we know right there's a little bit there but like it's very 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 (laughs) tangential to but this is it's interesting to me that historically speaking that the the humanities in the in the second half of the 20th century anyway got on the bandwagon of kind of agreeing and saying that yeah universities are about you know money and they're about making employable people and they're about you know, monetizable research and that sort of thing. And the humanities were, were, were sort of willing to get on that and then try to make the case that, hey, well, we, you know, we do a lot for that. Uh-huh. Uh, when that's basically BS. And it's starting to seem like people are noticing that that emperor has no clothes on. And right. you now have these very large institutions that cost people a ton of money, governments a and students. And what they're doing is not what the society seems to want to get out of them. So (laughs) what are we going to do? It's a bit of a pickle. (laughs) Is it? I mean, is it a pickle? Maybe it's not a bad thing. I mean, I think in in our question always on this show is like, you know, what would happen if we put Christ to the center of our thinking? You know, is it, is it something we should be concerned about to see, these large secular universities starting to, you know, to, to not, not really struggle yet. I don't think that's not actually quite happening yet, but starting to be a little worried about certain mm-hmm. kinds of trends and basically starting to really bite the their nails. The little ones are worried, man. Yeah. The, the little littler ones are, the yeah. One that I'm yeah. working at, they're worried. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Is it a bad thing though? I mean, I think to answer that question, we have to ask the question of what, what the value of universities is in our world yeah and yeah. if they're if we well, yes, see yeah. any value in it can, know, as, as men among demons can theology be studied can theology be studied like is it sustainable to study in this climate in the in, with the universe in the university such as it is right now or do you need or as long as as long as the general sense is um you're needing you're needing to train to pro- to produce to train people to be productive economically like is it is it impossible to study theology unless you're unless you're willing to have uh a, a sort of class of people or let's say sort of crudely speaking that that you're willing to kind of dump money into without getting anything in return that's a kind of priestly class or a kind of catechetical mm-hmm. class or something like that. Is it possible to, to, you know, or is that, is that really the only way in which case, and if that's the, if that's the only way, you know, are we just at the beginning or the, even the middle of the end for patristic theology in, in universities? That's, that's kind of my instinct. My instinct tells well, me I go up and I see, maybe. you know, we, we, uh, when we are at the, at the, at maps in Chicago, uh, North American Patristic Society, uh, NAPS. You know they're thinking. Oh, they're they're continue to have a conversation about whether they should change the name. Going so on for years. Instead of patristics, it's it's late and you know late antiquity, mm-hmm. uh, which of course would be a a disaster for NAPS. 
But anyways, so we're at Naps and uh, and uh, they're oh, they honor and the dessert reception they're honoring J. Mm-hmm. Patu Burns, right? One of the giants. Great, of great scholar, studies. yeah. And when scholar. that when uh, yeah, like super helpful, you know, very generous personally as far as I can tell. Yeah, real truly. bright, good yeah. good reader of Augusta, the whole truly bit, right? kind kind man, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like, you know, when he's up there talking, I'm like, things are different than yeah. we were. I'm like, changed. he's looking old, you know, yeah, as we're, as we're old, all yeah. gonna, you know, we're all yeah. tending in that direction. Yeah. Uh, but he's looking older than he did a few years ago. And I was thinking, you know what, things are pretty different from when, yeah. from when he was, you know, young in this society or the society was just starting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, like it's just you just wonder if it has a future, how much of a future it has. Or is it or is it the case that you know the time of the time of academic study, this sort of academic modern secular university academic study of patristic theology is coming to an end and we're going to have to shift the ground of how it gets preserved, how it gets taught because it's not like it's not going away. We people like you and and me and 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 others who care about the fathers are going to continue to figure out ways to keep this alive. That's what we're going to keep does. caring. We're gonna, <laughs> I mean, and and uh, you know, a great scholar like Patu Burns is is maybe in his twilight years, and uh, but we're you know we're not. So it's, no, that's right. There's plenty of people, it's, but we're also it's not. not an, it's not an old man's game. If anything, it's quite quite a lot of uh, young quite young scholars oh, very interested in these topics so it's like i think i think <clears throat> i think this is where this is where it kind of really gets interesting to me is that there has not been some kind of total collapse in interest in something like oh. patristics or humanities in general but if you think about patristics theology christian studying christianity in general i don't think the interest has collapsed it may be per capita less than it once was but it's it's nowhere near zero it is a long way from zero but what's what's happening is the model of what you were talking about earlier which is basically a model of patronage to take care of the people how do we feed and clothe and house and uh the people who you know know that stuff so that others can come learn it when they're interested in it um that's what's being challenged and i think the whole the whole church the whole church is kind of wrapped up in that as well it's not even just models of scholarship it's kind of models of of how we even because that's what we what we need to do to be people of faith is basically yeah we do need to kind of feed and clothe and and house some people who don't directly contribute to the economy um, and the world is getting increasingly hostile to letting us do that. So universities are kind of carrying the yeah. coal mine in this way in that there is, there is a decreasing, I think there's a decreasing tolerance at universities for scholars like us hanging around. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no there's lack just... of students who would who would like to take classes from us. Or, uh, that's right. I mean, it may not be quite the high, highest level it ever was, but I, I, even that, I'm not even convinced. I'm not sure that's diminished really at all. But what's definitely changed is that is administratively and politically, 
um, the desire, the sense that it's it, it's a justified choice to have mm-hmm. guys like you and me sitting around drawing a paycheck <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and benefits. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what are we doing? Talking about our invisible friends. What was the was was our friend Graham <laughs> Baker got got beaked on the on Twitter years and years ago? PhD in invisible friends. <laughs> I don't think I heard that one. No, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, he's doing. Yeah, someone saw that he was doing a PhD in religious studies and and mocked him as doing a PhD in uh, a PhD in, in invisible friends, <laughs> which of course he thought was brilliant. Absolutely. Well, it's brilliant. Absolutely As brilliant. As a barb, it's quite quite interesting. <laughs> so he stuck it on his on his Twitter bio. I don't know if it's still there. <laughs> Yeah, at an administrative level, at a at an economical level, it's difficult. I I have a difficult time making the justification for it. Yeah, I mean, what's I what's ironic is that my sense is that everything we think is greatest about our lives right now came as an indirect fruit of of conditions created by valuing god above all things right so (laughs) which is a bit which is ironic we now i mean it's so let's talk about that like the thing yeah like because that's a big time of that's the time we're in. I, 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 the, the phrase that keeps coming to mind for me is, is that it's a, gr- a just phenomenal exercise in taking for granted, right? We, do, we just utterly destroy everything that, that, uh, as worthless, the things, the things that actually generated, uh, the, you know, the conditions that allowed our, you know, the life that we've got to to come into come into existence so you build a university you bring people together to to think about the truly deep questions what is the good how do we live as god's creatures how do we know god how do we seek him you you bring people together to think about that to talk about that to learn about that to kind of go off into the world. Some of them just stay there. The, the, the ones who are mm-hmm. really, really, the others go off into the world to, you know, lead a little congregation somewhere here and there who are asking those questions. You build that institution, you start putting one brick on top of another. And soon you have a building and another building and a thing and this skull joins and that skull joins. And the, over the course of centuries, you turn around and you realize you've now welcomed into that project all kinds of other people, because we realize, you know what it is at the end of the day, it's a project about truth. Well, and if we want to know as much truth as we can, well, we need to not just have nothing but theologians. Well, we might need to have some historians and we might need to have some philologists who can help us 
translate the texts properly and read them properly and, and know what they even say. Yeah. <laughs> and now you need a philologist and now you need archaeologists because there's that whole thing going on. And pretty soon, you know, people are discovering amazing things about medicine. You bring them on board and people are finding amazing things about chemistry and on you go. And now all of a sudden you turn around and you say that whole thing where it started is, is worthless. worthless, if not worse than worthless. <laughs> what have you done evil, for me lately? An evil Yeah, well, that's right, too. Yeah, that has right. to be eradicated and, and destroyed. Well, I mean, I think, like, you, you cannot, I cannot understand the coming into being of modern science except as a except as a product of of recognizing that god uh has created so thoroughly so unmagically as it were mm -hmm. uh that the mm -hmm. logic of creation so fully participates in the logos that that creation itself has ordered to such depths that you could you could never uh you could never you could never exhaust your search for the depths of order in creation yeah. yep and so and the, like right like the the possibility of science science is only possible when you think when you when you realize that god has created with such integrity that you can even set aside the question of god and just look at creation and have endless right. things to find yep right endless things to search for right and that's to set aside all sorts like you could you could think about this in in virtually any way you wanted right all the all the you know the what we think of uh architectural culture you know all the buildings we think of as most beautiful and most archetypal for what we think of as good buildings beautiful buildings you know come you know come out of a out of a culture that that builds beautiful things to the glory of god right or 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 hospitals right uh that it's just yeah. valuable because yeah. of the glory of god yeah. to to care for those who are sick even if you put yourself at at risk uh, put yourself in harm's way mm -hmm. that it's just worth doing all of those things um I, you know, I don't want to be too triumphalist about her or anything, but it, it you well, know, no, and I, I don't think you have to be, I don't think you have to be triumphalist that like that, it, being triumphalist about it is a bad thing to be, <laughs> um, mm. it, because the damage that Christians have done in the name of Christ, in the name of the church to the world is, is, un, is absolutely manifest mm -hmm. and it continues to happen. And it happens all the time. It's probably it's happened to me, right? It's not that right. it's it's not the case that I've had nothing but amazing and wonderful experiences with right. with Christians, and, and I'm not an especially vulnerable person, you know. Right, I, I'm in pretty decent shape, uh, and even I have suffered from people treating me shabbily and badly and 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 in in really problematic ways and doing so and trying to justify what they're doing in the name of jesus christ and his church mm -hmm. that's happened to me to say nothing about people who have really really suffered um and there are a lot of such people you know through processes like colonialism and 
everything that happened at the residential schools and these sorts of things. Um, this is not good stuff. It's it's really bad, very 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 bad. Um, but that's the the whole challenge of wrangling through those kinds of things is you you also you just if you're a serious person if you're interested in the truth you cannot essentialize christianity to that either right you know for there yes was the catholic church and the anglican church were they involved in the in the creating the opening and the operating of residential schools in canada and the united states too but we're here in canada yes is that something we should be triumphalist about? I don't think so. I think it's pretty right. bad. Were they also at the same time opening the hospitals, a huge percentage of the hospitals that we all still rely on to this day, also in the name of Christ? Yeah, they were. Mm -hmm. They were. And that's like, sometimes I just, I look at this society around me and I just want to grab everybody and say, you just aren't going to be able to make it simple. Right. But you're going to do tremendous amounts of damage if you try to say it's only this one thing. You know, that the whole legacy of Catholicism in Canada is just residential schools and sexual abuse, both of which are realities of the legacy of Catholicism in Canada and Anglicanism. Right. And the Orthodox Church, I mean, we don't get a pass either. We've just, we're such a tiny minority in Canada. <laughs> You know, we avoid, we can look at what the Church of Russia is up to right now. We've got plenty of pockmarks. Like, y y you cannot essentialize things to that. You can't do it. It's, it, it's not that simple. And no, that's right. And it's, that's just as big of a mistake as someone coming along and, and trying to claim that, you know, the history of Christianity or, any of the Catholic Church, or the Anglican Church, or the Orthodox Church is nothing but, you know, glorious triumph and good, unmitigated good from the very start from Jesus till now. And we've all done, we've just been nothing but saints forever. Like, it's just bullshit on both sides, man. Yeah, that's right. Come on. So but, then what's, I mean, then what's the question, right? Like, the question is, what are the, what are the, the circumstances you need to set up in order to in order to have a, a a hope of accomplishing anything meaningful or beautiful right even if even at the risk of those those circumstances being or those structures being misused in human sinfulness yeah right what do you need and it seems like what you need is is <laughs> uh to to set up structures for the glory of God, even if it makes doesn't make you any money. <laughs> even if it doesn't, yeah, right. Even if right. it doesn't make you any money, <clears throat> even if even if there's risk of misusing them, even if human sinfulness, you know, never ceases to find ways of of using beautiful things for destructive ends. But what it but what I what I can't see through is like if you if a society has no room for something superfluous right if it has no economically yeah. economically superfluous if it's got no room to value the glory of god like what's going to happen right if patristic studies yeah. becomes 
you know, just not feasible for, for institutions of higher education, then probably institutions of higher education simply cease to exist such as they are. And maybe that'll happen. Well, you're already seeing that, which is interesting, but it's, uh, yeah, what I was just thinking as you were talking there, this is an experiment that has never been tried. A society built on the denial of any higher power. The denial that there's anything beyond just stuff, material stuff bumping into other stuff. Well, there's uh, yeah. never been such a society ever. Like and that's that experiment has been going on for some time. Oh yeah, yeah. I we're think, living, and I think what uh, we're just at a certain stage in that process and finding that when you do that, certain things start to break down. Feels like certain things are happening. Yeah, it feels that way. And one of the things it feels like is breaking down is the university. Yeah, right. It feels like the university is breaking down. And I think it's because within the university, uh, divinity, classics, language, yeah. humanities, those those things just can't figure out what the value is. Or we're getting, uh, like, it's just slipping through our grasp about how to account for its value. And I think as those go, so the university goes. And it just feels like it's slipping away. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. And I, I think it, it it strikes me also as you were talking there a minute ago, it's like it's like what just came kind of came into my head is it's it's like a tree without a taproot. It's it's just yeah. you could say, well, that's just one look, that's just one root, you know. <laughs> what what right. what difference does it make? Most of them all go this way. And what's the stupid one that's going down? Get get rid of it. Um but you know, you realize it's stabilizing in so many subtle ways. It's stabilizing the whole thing. Now, and it's not that, like, what we're what you're sort of saying here about the university breaking down is it like it's? I don't think we're just making that up. I mean, certainly the stuff I read on a daily basis is pointing more and more towards a lot of pressures of people questioning the value of university why should i go to a university mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing statistically it's not just us talking about our impressions you know mm-hmm. actual mm-hmm. research that's saying mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. fewer and fewer employers are requiring bachelor's degrees and that sort of thing i actually think that's a really good thing um mm-hmm. because because well if like if your goal is to gain certain skills to get a certain job uh then it's and, and the gaining of those skills does not actually require a bachelor's degree, then it's ridiculous and frankly, quite unfair for an employer to, to want you to have this arbitrary degree. <laughs> it's like, can you do the job or can you not do the job? Yeah. And so people who aren't interested, who, who sincerely aren't interested in these like deeper things um, are starting to say, well, let me just get the skills. And more employers are starting to say, mm-hmm. yeah, well, if you got the skills, I don't, give a rip whether you read Plato, like who cares? But it's that I think you're right is beginning to it. Well, and a lot of people are noticing not in these terms, but in different terms that the reason to even bother having this thing, this university thing that's very expensive is 
becoming decreasingly obvious. <laughs> so what do you think about, yeah, that, that throws into stark relief the attempt of universities like my own university, and I do this myself as well, of trying to couch what we do in terms of building the skills that you need for, you know, the workforce and so forth. Like in a certain sense, you, you need to make those arguments in order to survive in the short term, but do they not in the mid to long term only wind up hastening like the more your own demise? Because the more you, the more you couch, the more you accept the terms of like, of building competency for the workforce, do you not just set yourself up for an examination, uh, set yourself up for a test that when society looks, turns back and says, well, if what you're doing is, uh, you know, uh, equipping people for the workforce, are there not better, cheaper, more direct ways to do that? In which case, what do we need you for? (laughs) Are you not just accepting the, the, the terms that will wind up being the terms of your own dissolution. Yeah. Why don't we talk about that a little in the second half? Let's talk about it a little in the second half then. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us in this first half of this episode of men among demons. Uh, Please remember to join us at patreon.com slash men among demons for the second half of every episode. Uh, And here's a little taste of what you'll hear in the second half today. And that really is, that is the problem of the demonic, right? Like if you think of if you think of disintegration into a kind of irreconcilable and ununified diversity, right? Just in, you know the melting into the ocean as a kind of demonic problem, uh, a, a problem of inter- irreconcilable diversity. Who are the who are the who's the one that the demons are most anxious about? Christ, right? There's you know we we do have we do have a fear of the very thing that will cure us. We really do. All right, well, I'll see you over in the second half, Greg. Yeah, you will. Your support makes this podcast possible. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash men among demons for exclusive content and to join the conversation. 